And what I do is tell myself, with these profits, I'm going to allocate this much money that's going to go into the next bucket, which is cash flow. And cash flow, my friend, is what changes everything. Um, there should actually be a proverb or something that says, you know, cash flow covers a multitude of sin. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, Rick, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you? I am doing great, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? I'm very simple. I like chocolate. It's, it's safe and it's amazing. So, Okay. Now, any toppings, sprinkles, cone, bowl? Which, what's your favorite there? Man, so like I like fudge. I'm not going to lie. I like the flavor of fudge, but I, either way, a simple straight chocolate is still good for me as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now you're in the Orlando area. Are there any um, favorite ice cream shops that we should go visit the next time we're down there? There are a couple. There, I shouldn't say a couple. There's millions of them, obviously. I know. Yeah. You know, basically, Disney Springs has the spot that has some good. I don't even remember the name, but like the ice cream is incredible. So, Disney yeah. Springs, at least two or three options. There's my plug. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, tell our listeners what's the scoop? What do you do today? Yeah. So, actually, we're really excited. We've been getting a lot of, you know, input. And I'm sure throughout this, this content, we're going to talk about strategies, what we're doing. And, um, but we've had a lot of passive investors. I said, Rick, I really just want to learn from your business, what your criteria is, how do you do your due diligence and how do you execute on funding projects all over the States. And so we're really excited that in the next 30 days or so, I think 45 days is probably the realistic timeline. We're going to be launching an alliance where we're going to be empowering investors that want to be passive and become the bank by giving them a full step-by-step program that includes actually all of the information, our due diligence, our tools that we've created to analyze deals, just so that we can empower those investors and the beautiful thing is, uh, you know, some of those investors will be able to do it on their own, but many of those investors are going to at some point run out of resources to be able to continue to fund. And so we're going to build a white label partnership where they can leverage our capital to also expand. So it's a win-win situation. We get the volume with the people we trained, but they get the capital to be able to continue to grow their business. So we're very excited about that. All right. You have me interested already because I was just thinking about, I, I, I think we're in a position right now where we're going to see a ton of real estate deals out there. Now the the biggest inhibitor or obstacle for a lot of investors is going to be the capital they need to go deploy to do that. So I'm super interested in getting to that part. But before we do, tell our listeners, where did your real estate journey begin? You know, I, there's a long story behind this. Obviously, I've been doing this now for 20 years. So I'll give you the really summarized version. Um, I had an experience with God years ago. And I decided that I wanted my life to be focused on purpose and making a difference in the world. And um, because of that experience, it led me to just jump into a church and really just try to help support their mission projects. Little did I know that I was getting recruited to become a youth pastor. And uh, while that was great, and we had an amazing time, and we went to different countries and made an impact around the world, I learned very quickly that, um, let's just say that I got to a point that I was so broke, I couldn't pay attention. And... Um, I wanted to make an impact, but I realized I was limited to the resources that that ministry had at the moment. And so it's nothing against them. It's just, that's what they had. And so it was through that journey that I started trying to find what vehicle can I use or leverage to not only build wealth for my family and myself, but so that I, I could also invest in my purpose projects. And so it was through the research there that I found very quickly that first and foremost, Real estate was the one the common denominator that was associated with many of the wealthiest people in the world. 
And my ultimate confirmation, which I think is a really powerful uh, story, is during the time when I realized I've got to find something, I'm going to have to pivot and lead this ministry. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I was really struggling because where am I going to go? If I leave the church, I've got zero money. And so there was there was a really tough time. And so I'll never forget it. I was I was so distressed by this that I actually got on my knees and I prayed. And I said, God, you're going to have to do a miracle here because I don't know what to do. And anyway, long story short, within just a few minutes, I got a phone call from one of the mothers of the youth ministry. And she called me to say, hey, I, I've been buying properties. And one of them I just recently purchased. And I put a mobile home on this lakefront property. And as I was praying about what to do with this property, I felt like I needed to tell you, you can stay here for as long as you want for free. And so literally, it was a miraculous moment. I cannot even describe to you. All I could do is I just wept. And um, I told the lady my plans. I'm like, listen, this is amazing, but I want you to be the first to know that not only did I just pray about this like five, 10 minutes ago, but in addition to this, I want you to know that I may be leaving this position as youth pastor. And I'll never forget her words. She says, listen, Rick, I want you to understand something. It's not about what ministry you're in or what you're doing. I'm just being obedient. When I walked that property, I felt like I was led to tell you that you can stay there free and I'm just being obedient. So do what you have to do. And long story short, it was in that place that here I am in somebody's real estate investment for free. And I realized this is what I want to do. I want to be in a position that I could do the same and pass it on. And so the rest is history. We started wholesaling, got into flips, you know, and you name it. Now, after all these years from commercial developments, private lending, we've just been a part of so many different projects and we're just honored to be a part of that. That's super, super interesting and inspiring. What year was that? Um, so when I had this moment, it was that I was just thinking about this the other day because I wrote it in a book and um, I got to talk to her again after all those years and, and tell her thank you and tell her the story of everything that happened. And it was 2001 when I had this experience. And so by 2002, 2003, I was already in my real estate career, starting to learn, if anyway, of what was, what was I going to do. So, yeah, was she an active real estate investor as well, or just kind of had a couple properties on the side, or what did that look like? Well, it was interesting because it, it she at the time that I got to meet her, she was already, you know, what I would call a full time investor because she had bought enough properties to produce cash flow. So she was ma basically managing her properties, and so yep. she didn't have a lot of real estate, but it was the cash flow that was building her financial freedom, and now she had the freedom to make a blessing like like the one she did. Now, did you did that help you along the way to uh, start investing in real estate, or did you already know, hey, I want to do real estate investing, and this just happened at the same time? Honestly, it was just that confirmation. Like I already started doing the research, and I'm sitting here like, wow. So like I started looking at what are the options, and so I looked at licensing requirements to see maybe I just get a real estate license. But you know, to the embarrassing moment, I didn't even have enough money to pay for the license. So then I'm like, fine, I'll just find somebody who is an investor, maybe somebody who's already in the industry, and I'll get a job. And um, I started looking for those opportunities and it was uh, probably a few months later that I found one at her place and just all this stuff connected. It was, it was almost like God was confirming, you know, like it yeah. was already starting to happen. I found a mentorship program, but that was like 50 grand. And I'm like, that's out of the question. I can't afford anything. Can't even pay for a, a license to begin with. And so, but when I finally moved to her place and I connected the dots, I was looking for another opportunity to work somewhere. And uh, the gentleman didn't offer me the job. Uh, it was an acquisition a job, basically, to, to do acquiring for that company. They were buying that 15 properties a month. And um, in that particular interview, I gave it everything I had. And he said, honestly, I love your attitude. I love your energy. I love everything about you. He's like, the only problem that I don't love about you is you've got zero experience and I've got zero time to waste. 
And so he basically said, I'm going to go with someone else. And so as I was walking out, I said, you know what? I'm not going to take no. So I turned back around. I said, with all due respect, sir, you, you can't tell me that I can't be here because I'm willing to work here for free if that's what it takes. And so I became an intern for six months. And uh, that that's really where I began to really learn the real estate business. Do you, do you remember any specific things you learned in that six months? Because I think for most people who are very, very young in their career, it's probably not a bad idea to go work for somebody in a specific niche, vertical, or that inspires you in some sort of way for free, just so you can be under them. Do you remember any kind of lessons you learned from that time period? There were several. Uh, I'll summarize two that I think were essential. So the first one was really, I had no idea where to go or how to analyze a project to determine if it was a good deal. And I would say that in those six months, I really got to learn how they underwrote the deal and understand the why behind it. Uh, and that really helped me as I was formulating later on my criteria to understand that, you know, here's what, what I've seen over the years. If you don't have a standard, you're going to fall for everything, right? And so it's one of those essential things that it really helped me to understand that criteria, why we had this criteria, and it really helped a lot. The other portion that happened, which is the second lesson that I believe is why I ultimately went on my own way. I, I probably would have stayed there with a the guy uh, had this not happened. But the other thing is I found that just like I said, there's a standard of criteria. There's also a moral standard in making a difference. And um, I had a situation and I don't need to go into too much detail, but uh, unfortunately, let's just say that I had an opportunity to help a lady who her husband left her and her kids. And she was just about to start going upside down on her mortgage and it was going to impact her credit. And the property had plenty of equity. I mean, it was a home run as it was. And so I committed to a price that I felt was above and beyond, you know, what, based on the criteria. And um, she, where she was getting some cash up front, the investor was basically assuming the mortgage, basically taking over payments that would finish the repairs and sell it. So it was almost like a no money down deal at this point for the exception of giving her, about, I think it was 10000 at the time that I worked out. And there was plenty of equity. I mean, this was like an $80,000 net profit at the end of the day. And when I went back to him and I told him, hey, I got this slam dunk deal. Just this is what's going to happen. Here's the structure so we can all win. When he found out the why for her situation, he goes, oh no, we have a right we want her. Offer her $500. And I'm like, nice. what? Yikes. And so uh, I ultimately, it wasn't my money. I didn't know what to do. So I, I it's one of the most uh, incredible moments of my life because not only did I feel guilty, but it really confirmed once you signed that document, it took 500 bucks for this property that had so much equity. You know, that was the beginning of the end for me. I said, you know what? I've learned a lot here. There's been great opportunities, but I've got to stand for something and it's not taking advantage of people. Like, so it really just said, I can do better and I can create a win-win but I can't do it here. And so that's really what ultimately pushed me to the other side of doing it on my own. It warms my heart to hear that because I do believe everything comes back around too. Absolutely. You you mentioned something about standard or criteria around deals. I, uh, since I've had the show and people know I'm in real estate all the time, like, hey, should I invest in this deal? Is this a good deal? And I say, well, what's your criteria? Like, what do you base a good deal off of? And I've got my own little criteria, but that's probably different than Rick's, which is probably different than Sally's, which is different than John's. So just curious, like, what is your criteria? How do you evaluate deals? That's a great question. That's a million dollar question. Um, yeah. You know, I what I tell people is this. You know, you have to get to the place whether you want to build an institution that's doing millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, or whether you want to be an investor like the lady who sponsored me for that house, where she's just building enough cash flow to be financially free. What I first tell people is you have to make a decision of what that looks like in your life. Are you looking to build financial freedom 
or are you looking to build an enterprise? And regardless of that, but it just depends on the scale, um, what you want to start then asking yourself is, okay, well, based on my financial resources, I'm not looking to do one deal. I'm looking to build a portfolio. And what does that look like? And that perfectly segues into a little strategy that we learned in the beginning, and it's been effective even through several real estate market cycles. And that is what we call the 40-40-20. And the 40-40-20 basically is a philosophy that we've learned that we're adapting and we try to stick to as much as possible that says that from some of the active money that we have, what our goal is to do what is called short-term opportunities that generate great gains. Now, there's a whole set of criteria behind that, Matt, which is, has to do with the timeline. I usually like to be within 12 to 18 months. These are projects that we're buying at typically 70% of the actual market value, meaning all-in cost, so that we create a 30% margin net right at the end of the day. Um, and what I do is tell myself, with these profits, I'm going to allocate this much money that's going to go into the next bucket, which is cash flow. And cash flow, my friend, is what changes everything. Um, there should actually be a proverb or something that says, you know, cash flow covers a multitude of sin. I know I just flipped the Bible verse there, but it's true because ultimately, when you start building passive income that's coming from cash flow, not only are you building assets that are growing in equity, but that cash flow is what sets you free. And in situations like with these crazy market conditions, having a steady stream of income in a portfolio changes the game. And then once you get to that stability where you have enough income coming passively, you have some active money that's turning every 12 to 18 months in a good return, then you're up for the next one, which is what we call 20% higher risk, high reward. And that's when you might be now open financially to look at opportunities that may be developments. Like right now, my big bucket is in Tulum, Mexico. Um, it's in another country, higher risk. It took years of due diligence and so we feel confident, but still we're developing a project on the beach somewhere in Mexico. Now the margins are massive. I can more than double my money on those investments, not to mention the cash flow, but it could take longer, which could affect my income, right? And there could be some additional risks. So I call that my higher risk, higher reward. And when you have those three buckets fully operating, it gives you the ability to really gain some great returns, but still remain balanced so that you're basically stable and you're not freaking out every time the market changes, like a lot of people we're talking to today. Yeah, love it. I want to dig into the Tulum project, but before we get there, how, yeah. how does a W-2 investor think about this? So for somebody that's listening to the show that might not be active in real estate, how do they think about that first 40% bucket? Yeah. So, you know, let me kind of give you a little perspective first. You know, a lot of people before used to tell me, Rick, um, you can do it, but I, I have a job and based on my income, I don't have millions of dollars to begin. And so that's true. You probably don't have several million dollars, but when I started, I barely had $500, right? So it's where you begin and then how you start to allocate the resources that you do gain over time. So in fact, I encourage people, keep that job right? Pay your bills consistently, try to get out of debt as quickly as possible and start stacking away some money. Um, now, I, we don't have time today to go in detail, but we actually gonna have a spreadsheet where we calculate because what I've learned is that the most successful people in the world, they don't just get successful by accident or because they're lucky. They plan it and they fail forward and forward and forward until they get to that point. So part of that is projecting. What do I need to save every year and where do I need to invest it to generate a certain number of income and equity? And so for investors that are starting, depending on how much money you, you have in savings will determine if the first goal is save X amount of money. If you already have some money saved, then you need to ask yourself, maybe there's a way that I can purchase, uh, you know, there's a couple strategies that I would say be very careful, but, but they still work. 
don't go into the luxury sector if you're starting out. Let's put it that way. But there's a huge demand right now, especially in Florida and, and many of these markets where affordable housing is a problem. Mm -hmm. And so in some of these markets like Tampa, Lakeland, parts of Orlando, you name it, there are still infill lots in some of these communities that we can buy for $30,000, $40,000. And ultimately, his capital finances the construction deals. But we have people that will ultimately take out loans and actually build spec homes. And these homes are affordable. I'm talking about based on construction costs in the land, the investor might be in 200000 with an wow. exit of three hundred grand. Right. And so, so those would be the smaller deals. And if you don't have enough money for that, then partner with somebody. So between the two of you, you're buying a project that gives you the ability to, to generate revenue. Right. And so, but the difference is not just making that profit is okay. So now that I made that 30, 40 grand, what do I do with that money? And so it's getting to the point where you're taking that money and you're telling it to go work for you. And little by little with the sheet that I have, I calculated, you'll be amazed what happens literally in a matter of 10 years. If you right. just take a small amount, invest it in an active deal, take the profits, invest it in cash flow, and you do it every single year. I mean, over a 10-year period, some of these guys that I know right now are poised to have over $2 million in, in, in capital deployed in, in income-producing assets. So again, it's just one bite at a time, but look at the long term and figure out where you want to be. Yeah, I, I really like that answer. Um, I kind of almost take a little bit of the reverse approach of like, keep your W-2, take the W-2, move it into cash flow. Once you have that cash flow, go take it and put it in your 20% bucket. Um, it's amazing to me, and I would love your opinion. And could you speak a little bit more about how you've seen your cash flow free you up and be more intentional with what you do? Because I was talking to someone the other day that was like, yeah, I'm thinking about doing this venture deal and that venture deal and this angel and series A. And I'm like, man, you haven't even covered your monthly expenses yet. Go do some secure debt, secure cash flow streams, build up your cash flow to where it's at least covering your monthly income or your monthly expenses and your annual expenses before you start taking these asymmetrical bets. So long-winded way of saying, um, I think cash flow is extremely important. And I would love to hear kind of from your perspective, why it's so important in your strategy. Matt, that is, I, you have no idea how excited I am to even hear you say that because that's wisdom. What you're sharing right now is absolute wisdom. A lot of great. You know, I, <laughs> I got it. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> uh, one thing that I would say is, and this is me looking at myself because I've had several interviews where people have asked me, hey, Rick, talk about if you can go back to your younger self, what would you do? And in some of that reflecting, I'll be honest with you, because of my ultimate purpose-driven focus if I were to go back to Rick when he was 20 and say, Rick, here's what I want you to do, what I would actually do is the complete opposite of what I built. You see, I figured that I had to earn my right. I had to become a multi-multi-millionaire to generate lifestyle that was freedom. And I built an enterprise that is so big that even if I wanted to, I can't shut it off. Mm -hmm. So I'm on a journey right now to basically get my team and give them equity so that they can ultimately fire me and they can run. Why? Because when I look back at what I've started this in the first place, r running a company that has 30 plus employees and you're doing all this business, it's work. And it's a lot of responsibility and it's a lot of effort. And honestly, most people in this planet shouldn't be doing it. So if I can go back to myself, knowing what my true why is, which is to go on the field and make a difference in the lives of people, what I would have done is exactly what you said. Rick, what is the magic number? Even if that's six, 7,000 a month when I was starting, that would cover not only my living expenses, but give me a little extra for saving and reserves. Once you've put a game plan that's associated with building cash flow that gets you to that number, you don't need an enterprise. 
you can literally have five, six properties that you amass over the course of seven, 10 years that literally set you free. And I'll give you an example. I have a client of mine who took this exact approach to heart. And it really wasn't until later on that we learned this. He's been with us now for well over a decade now. And um, one of her visions was pretty much like we're talking about. She wanted to be financially free because she likes to travel. And her job was one of those jobs that technically, if she wanted to, she could work somewhere else remotely. And so she made a goal that what she wanted was to get to $8,000 of cash flow every single month without doing any work. And so the way she started was literally, she didn't have enough money. She lives in New York. So as we all know, New York's expensive. So what she did is she sub-rented her rooms to roommates she liked to get to a zero balance. But every month she started stacking away that mortgage payment. And little by little, adding additional strategies like this, bought a couple of rental properties, let them go for a couple of years. When they appreciated, she sold them for a pretty substantial amount. And then she started investing passively. She, I'm thankful she uses one of the vehicles. Well, long story short, right? You fast forward now to like seven years or so. It was really about three years ago that we really got a great picture of her lifestyle. She's now netting over 10000 a month in passive income. Her money is doing the work for her. She's traveling the world. So sometimes when we try to reach her so that we can have a conversation about what the next goals are, I can't get a hold of her. My team can't reach her because she's in another country and her reception's gone. In my opinion, that is so much more attractive than to say I'm a multi, multi-millionaire because That's right. you're trading still time for, for money as opposed to your money is doing the work for you so you don't have to. Yeah, that's right. I mean, one of the things I talk about and uh, recently wrote a book that's coming out in the next couple of months is this concept of ROI. And I think a lot of people, when they're thinking finance and real estate, it's like, what's my return on investment? And I'm flipping the script to talk about return on intentionality. Because when you look at a lot of these multi-billionaires, multi-millionaires, they're all divorced, their wives hate them, their kids hate them. They don't have any sort of meaning or purpose in their life other than their businesses, which uh, is driving them to the ground. So while it must be nice to have money not be an option for anything you want in the world, I think it's more and free and more intentional. You can be more intentional in your life when you just cover your basic expenses. So anybody out there that's listening to this, how do you invest in Rick or with me or with someone out there that can cover your first monthly bill? whether it's a cell phone bill, a gas bill, a food bill, whatever it is. And once you see that, then to your point about this this lady, you start stacking those up and all of a sudden you're net zero on your balance sheet and then you could go start making some big moves. Exactly, 100%. And, and you know, it's funny because you said that in, in another example, and we've done this now with clients that are starting out that are trying to get there. Um, you, we need to shift our mindset of getting to a place where we have a need and let's say a car, I got to get a new car or I got to do this. Those are liabilities, but we need them. I mean, you have to drive somewhere, for example. But the mindset I think that shifts our financial freedom is instead of saying, okay, well, I'm going to either lease this car or I'm going to finance this vehicle, or, or in some cases, I'm going to buy cash for this vehicle. Ask yourself, if I have some money, where can I invest this money that will produce enough cash flow to pay for this vehicle? And so you're, you're living off the interest and that really makes a difference. You know, it's, it's, I tell people, if you really think about investing, it's very simple. It's called seed time and harvest. The difference is most people live off of the seed rather than planting it and waiting and nurturing that tree so that you can then live off the fruit of the tree, right? And so it, it's really having the discipline and setting up that schedule where you say, I'm going to plant some seeds of my savings. It's going to grow into an income producing asset. And then I'm going to live off of the fruit that it generates, but I'm not eating the seed because that's right. a big difference. Right. 
Yeah, I, I read a book called The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel one time, and he talked about like why is Warren Buffett the richest person in the world and the best investor of all time? It's because of time. The guy got invested, started investing when he was like 11 or 12 or something like that, and he's 94. I mean, so if you have marginal talent over that course of that time period, you're going to compound exponentially. If you have exceptional talent over that time period, then you're the wealthiest person in the world. So I love this idea of there's no replacing time. Nope. You cannot buy back no matter how much money you have. And so therefore it is the most valuable commodity that we have. That's right. That's right. Before I switch us to the last round, you mentioned this topic of purpose and your purpose uh, quite a few times. I would love to hear what is your purpose in life? You know, um, when I was first putting together the acronyms of his his capital um, at the time, it, it really just dawned on me that the real purpose of the company was to influence and feed nations. And uh, up until that moment, I really didn't understand what that was until, you know, I, I look back and I'm like, wait a minute, we were just in Ukraine this past year in the middle of a war, making a difference and influencing people, encouraging them, but providing resources for them. I've uh, been in Uganda and many places. And so for me, the purpose now has been using and leveraging this particular business that we have and these investments so that as they generate revenue, we can invest in specific mission projects that are expanding hope and helping people not only in other countries, but also in the US. But what I didn't realize, uh, Matt, which until years later, is that by us fulfilling our purpose and making a difference around the world and sharing with our clients that by working with us, they've helped us to make X amount of impact in these lives, it was influencing those business leaders to do the same. And that's something that literally took years to realize. And so really our mission right now is to show people how they can build wealth and build financial freedom, but for them to understand that it's not just about how much money I make. It's about how much freedom you can build so that you can live with purpose, but also so that you can make a difference in the lives of others who were not born with the same resources and talents and giftings that we have. And I can tell you from the years of doing this that it, I've done deals that are seven-figure profits and you're like, wow, I've done all kinds of cool stuff but there isn't a single thing that is more fulfilling in my life that inspires my children more than when we help just one kid who is struggling with something. And I really believe God designed us that way so that we wouldn't just be taking and receiving for ourselves, but that we will become a conduit, right? That we will be a vehicle that gets filled for the purpose of flowing out into the lives of other people. And so that is what our company stands for. That is what we're pursuing on a regular basis. And we're trying to incorporate in our business model where there's literally a face to every dollar that we earn. And that's really what we're trying to connect with an investment company that has purpose. That was brilliantly said. And I can tell you've spent a lot of time thinking through that because that was brilliant and very, very articulate. I love it. Thank you. Um, well, Rick, I want to take us now to our last portion of the conversation. We call this the five toppings. Our first one is, what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? So I, I like books, um, but I will tell you that most of the really, really good books are quoting scripture. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the foundational, uh, you know, basically book that has inspired me and shown me many things has been the Bible. Uh, now, with that said, one that really transformed my thoughts that was associated was is an old book um, that is As a Man Thinketh. I don't know if you've ever read that book. It's a great book. Many, many principles in the scriptures, but what it really helped me to do during during that season of my life was to recognize 
that the limiting obstacles that I had in my life began with my mind and that I could be intentional about pouring into my mind so that I can shift my paradigm and begin to take actions that led to results that were higher. And so for that reason, when I connect that with the Bible, I recognize that I can truly influence the way I think, which ultimately impacts the way I feel, which ultimately motivates what I do, which ultimately creates new results. And at the end of the day, if I continuously do that, I build a habit, right? And that habit becomes a lifestyle. And now it has a consistent performance for my life. And so for me, those two books have been amazing. And I've got so many quotable books that everybody talks about, but those are two, honestly, that have been amazing. I think now that you were explaining that, Les Brown, who's a big motivational speaker, I think he's one time said that. So uh, yeah, yeah, I'll have to go check it out. Our uh, second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What are some of the things that you do every day? Well, okay, that's a good one. Um, so mine yeah, personally is I have learned that every quarter I do what is called a life plan review. Everyone has a business plan and you if you're working for somebody, there's some type of quarterly review. Uh, so what I do is a life plan review. And in that life plan review, I generally will do an assessment. And based on the areas that I feel are not balanced in my life, uh, I will focus on only two areas where I'll put the direction of that area. I will write down what the vision statement for that area is, very simple. I will write down the why or the purpose. I will write down the actual specific promise that's in God's word that aligns with that area that I want to improve. And then I typically don't do more than two goals for that within 90 days. And then I list out what are the two or three habits that if I adapt will help me hit my goal. And then at at the same time, I schedule accountability. So every week I have an accountability. And what I found is that allows me to really, within a macro view, be aiming towards an improvement in my area that allows me to thrive with balance and purpose. And that's really what I'm looking for in my life is to really develop that. And so once I have that picture of the life plan, then I look at my weekly rhythm. And a weekly rhythm, I think, is essential. And in fact, if you don't have one for most people that are listening right now, I would challenge you to do that. Um, What I'm doing for my weekly rhythm is I broke it down into three simple things, three simple steps. Mondays, I call it strategize. So on Mondays, I take about 30 to 40 minutes. I read my affirmations. I read my eulogy. I read that life plan. And I begin to put a list together. What are the key things that I need to accomplish this week? And I'll schedule them on my calendar. Okay. On Wednesday, I have a scheduled date that says inspect what you expect. And I go through that list to make sure, am I on pace for hitting my goal? And why? Because on Friday, I have an accountability partner that I've been working with now for the last 10 years. I get to show him what I did in my accountability call on Friday. And what that allows me to do is it creates a lane for me to completely focus on being productive. Monday, I know what my expectations are that I need to do. Wednesday, I confirm and I make sure that I'm heading in that direction. Or in some cases, life happens. And on Wednesday, I realize this is what I got to do today and tomorrow so that Friday, I can hit my goals, right? And so... I, to the point now where that is scheduled in my calendar, I have a color coding, but by Friday, everything that I've completed turns red so that when I'm having my accountability call, if in just two seconds, my accountability partner could say, wow, you got a lot done. Well, hey, there's a couple of yellows here. What's going on with that? And so it just helps me to stay on my lane. And so that weekly rhythm is essential. And I mean, again, I don't know how much time we have, but we can go into the day-to-day, but this just gives you a picture of how I create the space so that I can focus on being a performer and, and not just hope that it happens. I, I love too that you didn't mention any fancy automation, software stacks, or anything really fancy. Take out a piece of paper, 
write the two things that you want to do this in over the next 90 days and mm-hmm. the piece of paper over and write one through 13. And on one, take the two things that you're going to do that week. It's very, very simple. Exactly. And if it's on your calendar, it's going to happen, right? And right. so so it's essential. So so I agree. It's simple. I think we sometimes overcomplicate it. And yeah, we can leverage technology and we do. But when you really think about it, what, what it comes down is what is your focus? What are you aiming towards? And are you building balance around it? Because I'm telling you, just like you said earlier, there's a lot of people that I've worked with that are like billionaires. That I, I wouldn't trade their place even if they gave me everything they have. And why? Because they're really good at one area. In every other area, they're terrible, right? And so I don't want that lifestyle. I want to be able to thrive and balance with purpose. And so I have to be intentional. And, and part of that is creating that, that rhythm that we just talked about. Yeah. Our third one is, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, man, that's that's a that's a tough one. I've had some pretty good uh, advice, you know, over my life. I, the, if I had to sum it up into one, it would have to be my grandmother, um, who, as since I was a little boy, she told me this, and I didn't get it till like till I got it. Uh, and she would tell me all the time, "Son, tell me who you spend your time with, and I will tell you who you will become." And my goodness, was she right? Uh, I mean, she said it so much and I was finally like condescending. I'm like, grandma, whatever. But now looking at my life and I realized that she was absolutely right. We are truly a byproduct of who we spend our time with. And so it is essential to, you know, surround yourself with people. And I break it down into three people. Now that that's kind of evolved in my, in my uh, growth, you know, what I've realized is I need three people that would help bring balance. The first one is what I call a Paul. Uh, the scriptures talk about a gentleman named Paul who was literally one of the most influential men in the Bible. In fact, he was responsible for the two-thirds, writing the two-thirds of the Bible in the New Testament. Very influential, very powerful person. He inspired people. So what I have found is when you find people that are pursuing their vision and they're achieving goals and you surround yourself with that person and you're you're encouraging them, you're bringing value, they by default level you up. Because there is no excuse when you're around someone that's pushing for their vision, it challenges you to do the same. The second person is what I call Barnabas. And the meaning of the name Barnabas means the encourager. And that goes back to the accountability partner, somebody that you can talk to that will encourage you, but hold you accountable to what you said you were going to do. And the last one, and this is a very important one, I call him the Timothy. And Timothy basically is the student of Paul. He's the gentleman that Paul raised up. And for years, I was missing a Timothy. And when you connect those three people, what it does is first and foremost, you're growing because you're being inspired by somebody. You're being held accountable and encouraged by somebody to stay consistent until it becomes a lifestyle. And then you're pouring into the life of somebody else and you're helping them grow. And by default, those three people literally will change your life because now you know you're counting on these people and they're counting on you. And so there's no greater way to live uh, with an impacting lifestyle than to be around those type of people. Yeah. I, we're going to chat after this about my <laughs> thoughts on that. But um, our fourth one is, what is this? What is the thing that you're most proud of in your life? You know, mm, uh, I can get emotional about that. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I've had the opportunity to do. Um, there is no greater calling in my life than uh, being a good father for my children and a good husband for my wife. And um, we talked about balance, thriving and purpose, right? And um uh, I want to say it was 2017. I was reflecting on where we were in the business and where I was going. 
And as I was kind of journaling and had made this space to just think about what am I going to go after 2017? I wanted something big. I knew it was something huge. And um, a thought came to mind that said, what is your role as the CEO? And I jotted down and it was incredible how quickly and how fast I was able to actually just spit out what my role was as the CEO. And then all of a sudden, another thought comes and says, what is your role as a father? And what is your role as a husband? And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm still emotional about it. I didn't even have an answer because I put my identity around who people saw me as a businessman. And um, from that day on, I wrote it. And um, I started doing affirmations with my kids. I started scheduling date nights with my kids and with my wife. I scheduled um, quarterly reviews with my wife so that we can talk about specific things. And to see my kids from 2017 to if I wasn't at home, it was a normal thing. To them fighting in the mornings because they don't want daddy to leave. Or before I leave the house, they said, dad, stop. You haven't blessed me yet. There is nothing more powerful than imparting life lessons to your children and getting to the place where you truly are their hero. And for me, I would say that is one of the greatest accomplishments. And I, and I pray to God that I can continue that example and that it will pass on from generation to generation. Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. <laughs> yes, uh, 100%. Um, well, our fifth and last one is, if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Um, I have some pretty good people that I'd like to meet with. Um, I think for me, uh, there is a, a specific character in the Bible that there are very few verses on. His name was Enoch. And a very interesting guy because the, the only few words that you hear about him other than he was a father is that he walked with God and then he was no more because God took him. And then when you go to the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, it says, hey, look at Enoch. God took him because the one testimony that he had is that he pleased God. And so from my perspective, I would love to sit down with a bowl of ice cream and say, Enoch, how did you get to a place where you had such a walk with God that was so in sync that he was so pleased with that relationship that he took you? And um, I, I just feel that that's just a, a name that most people would never mention that just has really impacted my life. And so that would be, that would be the guy I'd want to question. Is the lesson there that if you live by your principles, you don't have to speak them and you will still be recognized? Yes, absolutely. It's, it, it, it's, it's more of a relational right, component where you get to the place where you're not dealing with a religion. You know, what I believe the lesson of Enoch really shows us is that you're dealing with someone who pursued an intimate relationship with God on earth. And that authentic relationship made an impact and it moved the heart of God. And so for my, for my personal walk, you know, I'd like to be in that place where I could say that I'm walking with God and that my life pleases him and it impacts the lives of other people around them. I love it. I love it. Well, Rick, fantastic conversation. Um, I just looked down and this was probably the fastest podcast I've ever recorded because it was such entertaining and so good. But if our listeners wanted to reach out to you, learn more about you, his capital, where's the best place we could point them? You know, I would just recommend go to hiscapitalgroup.com and you can always go on YouTube and look up His Capital. We have a lot of content that we put out and some videos with uh, information and strategies. 
In fact, even some of the topics that we've talked about today, we might give a couple of ways on how they can execute on some of those strategies as well. Perfect. We will link all that in the show notes. And then Rick, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.